Read chapter 16 with me. Ready? I commend to you Phoebe, our sister who was a servant of the church in Centurea, that you may receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints, assist her in whatever business she has need of you, for indeed she has been a helper of many and myself also. And greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their own necks for my life, to whom not only do I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Greet my beloved Epineatus, who is the firstfruits of Achaia in Christ, or to Christ. Greet Mary, who labored much for us. Greet Andronicus and Unia, my countrymen and fellow prisoners who are of note among the apostles, who were also were in Christ before me. Greet Amplias, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and Stachys. And when I hear his name, I can't, I can't help but think we're in te- like Tennessee and the guy has like a pancake house. Stachys. And what's even funnier is his name literally means head of grain, so it must be buckwheat pancakes. Anyways, greet Stachys, my beloved. Greet Apelles, approved in Christ. Greet those who are of the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my countrymen. Greet those who are of the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, who have labored in the Lord. Greet the beloved Persis, who labored much in the Lord. Greet Rufus. Woo! Sorry, I, can't, can't, I just can't read that any other way. Chosen in the Lord and his mother and mine. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermas, Petrobas, and Hermes, and the brethren who are with them. Greet Philologus and Julia, Neros, or Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ greet you. Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause division and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learn and avoid them. For those who are such do not, dis- do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. By smooth words and flattering speech, deceive the hearts of the simple. For your obedience has become known to all. Therefore, I am glad on your behalf. But I want you to be wise of what is good and simple concerning evil. And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. Isn't that a fun statement? The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Oh, Timothy, my fellow worker, and Luscious, <laughs> Jason and Sisypater, my countrymen greet you. And I, Tertius, who wrote the epistle, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, my host and the host of the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the treasure of the city, greets you. And Cordus, our brother, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. And now unto him who was able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began, but now has been made manifest and by the prophetic scriptures and known by, to all nations, made known to all nations according to the commandment of the everlasting God for obedience to the faith. To God alone wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. Pray with me, would you please? Oh Lord, what a gorgeous chapter. Thank you so much for the privilege of being able to serve you in your word. Thank you for the blessing of being able to call this as much as any place on earth home. And it is the people, Lord, no doubt. And I thank you, Lord, so much for the blessing of being able to be here. So I pray 
that you, Lord, fill me to overflowing with your Holy Spirit, Lord, and speak to every one of us right now to our heart of hearts. Lord, from the most tired individual who right now is, is ready to play the Eutychus and to fall into a, dink, a deep sleep, to the one who's already energized and can't wait to gobble your word, Lord, for every one of us, may we now come to your table hungry and may it be a Brazilian barbecue of pleasure, Lord, in regards to your truth. And Lord, may we just engulf ourselves in what you have to tell us in this time. And Lord, speak to every one of us, Lord. Let there not be a single person here, Lord, who walks out of earth thinking this wasn't for them. But Lord, may we have so much fun in your word, Lord, so color in the black and white. (coughs) Lord, please cause it to bud open and flourish and just be vibrant and alive as you promised, Lord, before us. And may we now, Lord, just be drawn closer to you, Lord. And if there be any who have yet to know you, let tonight be the night of their salvation. For every one of us, may we be brought back to your feet, Lord. May we decide tonight not to visit anymore, but rather to live there permanently. So, Lord, we commit this night. May your Holy Spirit have free reign, not a word beyond or before, but speak exactly what you want. (coughs) So, Lord... (coughs) (coughs) <coughs> minister in the things that are said in and the things that aren't. And I just commit this night to you, Lord, and myself as well. Have at us now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What's saying tonight is that what any, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the scriptures. Let the Bible always have the final say. So now you read through chapter six, uh, 16 and have you gone, hmm, I wonder what's going to happen here. 26 personal names of people to say hi to, including a sister and a mother. Nine of them women. Uh, 22 of these names exclusive to this chapter. If we didn't have this chapter, 22 different people in scripture, we wouldn't know existed until we get to heaven. There are roughly five units of people groups, that's churches and households. Eight people to say hi to, three of which are exclusive. And you might think to yourself, yeah, so what? Unless when I go to heaven, I'm going to be like next to Luscious or Aquila. What difference does it make? Well, I'm a firm believer that God could have put a lot of other things in Scripture, but He didn't. John made that clear in the Gospel of John when he says, truly, Jesus did many other things. And I suppose if I wrote all those down, all the libraries of the world wouldn't be able to hold them. But these were written that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, and in believing, you'd have life in his name. There was a specific purpose for John writing what he did. God, by the way, doesn't go extra on anything except your joy and your peace and your love. If you think about it, he's abundant in mercy. He's abundant in love, abundant in grace. That's where he goes extra. But he doesn't go extra in words. And can I just say, one thing I've learned about great builders is they just don't have spare parts when it's left over. Please hear me on that. Because if you've given your life to Christ, you are a part of the body and there are no spare parts. It isn't like the Lord ever went, wow, now what do I do? Now that, you know, Naomi's in there, now what do I do? The Lord knew way ahead of time, and he knew the journey you'd be on. So can I just say, as we look at these people, these 34 different people, and then get this beautiful exhortation, did you notice at the end there's like, amen, oh, wait a minute, there's some more, and then amen, oh, wait a minute, there's a little bit more, okay, amen, 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 I think we're done. I just love the fact we can see the Lord in control in all of this, but my question to you is, which one of these people are you tonight? I mean, first of all, I just can, I, can we point out a couple really quick things before we even dive into this? One thing that makes this very clear is this is actually, we're reading someone's mail. It's, by the way, the one place where it's legal to do so, right? You can do time in America. You can do hard time for reading someone's mail. 
Here, by the way, God invited us to. The second thing is, it flies right in the face of these constant stories you're going to hear here in England. Let's say that basically the whole story of Jesus and this whole Bible was written by a bunch of bored Jewish guys who had nothing to do but talk to each other about stories and then write them down. Let me ask you something. If you were a bored Jewish guy talking to another bored Jewish guy to write down a bunch of stories so that people can believe it as a religion, would you write down 34 names? And just to go beyond that, in the Middle East 2,000 years ago, or dare I say in the Middle East today, would you write down nine women names? In one case, a woman before her husband? Figure that one out. Should bang on that. And the first name on the whole list is a woman. I mean, think about how contrary this is to culture, how contrary this is to its time, but how clear and pertinent it is to us. So as we dive into this, can I just say, consider this. This is a real letter to real people. And can I just say, know these names at least well enough so that when you do get to heaven... And you stand before the Lord and you run into these people and they're like, how did you know me? Remind them that you went to this church. Just kidding. Anyway, so. <laughs> and, and if not, you can say you were from another one. Anyways, here's, here's where it starts. Ladies, watch this with me. I commend to you Phoebe, our sister who was a servant in the church of Centrea. Centrea, by the way, is a port in Corinth. That means it's Greece. And, and, and unless she moved there, she's Greek. Now, you know in our church, we do have some Greeks, and I'd like you to think that if you talk to them, they'll tell you that the language nor the people have changed in any way. And I just imagine someone like, if you'll pardon me for saying, someone like Mary or someone that you know here that's Greek, and imagine that's Phoebe here. Listen to this statement. Let me ask you, why would Paul even write this to these people? Listen, I commend to you Phoebe. In other words, I approve this gal. I stand in approving of this gal who is a servant of the church of Centrea, that you may receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints to assist her in whatever business she may need of you. For indeed, she has been a helper of many and myself also. Let me ask you something. Why does he have to write about her in the first place? Look at verse 2. You tell me why. Because she's there. No, the question is, why is she there? Now, if she was there before he wrote this letter... It would be kind of weird to introduce her, wouldn't it? I mean, imagine somebody like, imagine here I am, I'm in Majorca a week ago, and I write and say, by the way, you know, <laughs> you know, Rodrigue, make sure, you know, I'd like to introduce you and commend Shirley. And you're like, duh, I already know Shirley. And I would commend her myself. So I'd like you to consider the fact of why Paul has to write this. The reason Paul has to write this about Phoebe is it's more than likely she's the one who brought the letter. Do you realize that? Without this gal... We may not have had the Book of Romans. Could you imagine? Imagine how many tracks we would not have because Phoebe would have been unfaithful. Think about that. And so Paul says, by the way, can I just say, yo peep this, this girl is the real deal. Receive her, give her what she needs and send her out if she needs to. Take care of this girl. She's one of my peeps. That's the idea here. Consider the fact that that's the first of our 34 names, ladies. By the way, four different times in this text, we're going to read my beloved. Actually, three other times, my beloved, all men, by the way. And then he writes the beloved, and he writes about a girl. I think he just wants to make sure the girl doesn't think my beloved means anything more than beloved. And I think it's cool. He's, he's, uh, he's careful. Can I say the first of them? And Phoebe, by the way, for what it's, what it's worth, means bright. So this is a bright gal. Can I just say, here's our first of the people, and she is simply a sister servant. That's all she is. She's a sister servant. Now, is that you? I mean, I'd like you beloved, who are here and you know the people around you, to think, well, who comes to my mind when I think sister-servant? 
The person that if we would have said, you know what, I'm going to send you something so important that if this doesn't happen, we're losing part of the Bible. Now, chances are Paul didn't say that to her. But he trusted enough that this letter was going to get there. And he brought it by the, by the hands of a gal. And with all due respect, ladies, that's pretty rough. Chances are you didn't come alone. But it seems to me like she was the one who actually literally held the letter to hand over to the people in Rome. What a radical thought. So don't tell me how the Bible is chauvinistic. Check out the next one. So let me ask you, are you the sister servant? Look at the second one. Or should I say two? Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their own necks for my life, to whom I not only give thanks, but also of the churches of the Gentiles. By the way, for what it's worth, Phoebe's exclusive. If you didn't read this text, you wouldn't have known Phoebe existed. We wouldn't have had as half as many people in the world named Phoebe, except for this text, by the way. Now, it's interesting, because some of you are sort of familiar with the fact that Priscilla and Aquila, by the way, for what they're worth, are a married couple. Priscilla and Aquila are mentioned six times in Scripture, For what it's worth, of those six times, half the times she's mentioned first, half the times he is. That's kind of funny to me. Find that in a Middle Eastern text 2,000 years ago, where half of the time the husband's playing, he's got second bill, you know. She's got the big marquee and he gets the little part. This is what we know about the couple. According to this text, notice what he says. He says, they risked their own necks for my life. Did you see that in verse 4? Can I say, if we were going to call a second category here, as the first was our sister servant, the second is going to be a courageous couple. Because what he says is these people risked it. They were neck, rister, neck riskers. That's a, try, you try to say that. That's not easy. Neck risker. They were neck riskers. Yeah, see? You thought it was, thought it was easy. What, didn't you? Listen, it starts, by the way, in, in, in Acts 18.2. And what happens is we just know that there's this guy named Aquila, which for what it's worth means eagle, and he's married to a girl whose name means old. Who names their daughter that? Aquila means ancient, old chick. There, he is born in Pontus, which, by the way, is a region in Asia Minor, which is on the western side of Turkey, which, by the way, means that this guy's a Turk, by the way. More than likely so is his wife. What we read next is that they were kicked out of Italy. So they had moved from Turkey to Italy. And they were kicked out of Rome because Claudius, who was the emperor at the time, found the Jews to be a little bit rabble-rousing and troublemaking, so he just kicked them all out. And with that came then this couple. They wound up moving then from there to Corinth. So they went from, from Turkey to, to Rome, got kicked out, but as did all the other Jewish people. So he was a Jewish person that was Turkish that lived in Rome. Put all that together already. And then with his old wife, right? I mean, just by name. And they wind up in Corinth, which now means they wind up in Greece. So, Jewish-Turkish couple moved to Italy, get kicked out, moved to Greece. While they're in Greece, we do read that the guy has a a trade, and his trade is that he makes tents. Now, Paul will wind up in Corinth, and when he winds up in Corinth, they take him in and give him a job. Now, hear me on this, beloved. I believe that's one of the first places where they risked it, where they were a neck risker. Because the guy's a fugitive. Every place he's gone prior to this, other than Athens, where he just came from, every place he's gone before that, they're trying to kill him. The guy has been fleeing for his life. So he's probably not looking so good, if you think about it. The trip up through Macedonia, that's Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea, that's a bit rough. 
He heads down to Athens to kind of lick his wounds a little bit, and that ultimately winds up in Corinth. And the guy's a fugitive, still got scars all over him. And the guy like walks over to you, and you're a couple, and he says, Hey, I need a job. Please hear me in this. Because most of us here, chances are, if you're not married, you just may wind up there someday. Can I just say, it's the second greatest choice I ever made. Now, first, of course, is Christ. Had I not made the first one, the second one wouldn't have been good for her. That's for sure. Now, please hear me. (coughs) When you get married, the temptation is the same as when you get older. The only difference is you feel like you have a viable excuse. See, when you get older, sort of the goal is to get comfortable. Let's make sure we own the house. Let's make sure as many bills are paid. Let's make sure we got this whole thing padded. And now I'm really familiar. I know exactly. I mean, you get to that point where you actually know by rote what you're going to order to Sainsbury's and have them deliver to you. You know what's going to wind up and where it's going to wind up on your fridge. You can walk to the fridge with your eyes closed. You know where everything is. You don't move a lot around the house at this point unless you're vacuuming. Very little change happens and you get comfortable and you become sedentary. And sooner or later, spiritually, you start looking like Jabba the Hutt. You're just a big pile of just glob. But please hear me in that. If you're single and that starts to happen, there's something inside of you that knows that ain't right. Because you just know, hey, look at I have nothing holding me down. Why in the world am I living this kind of lifestyle? But if you get married, you can convince yourself it's okay. But can I just say, it's not. And what happens is you're like, well, and you you give God this excuse, which, by the way, he doesn't buy well, I can't really risk anything because i got a wife with me now. And, you know, that could be rough. And now look, there's a difference between just making stupid choices and following the Lord. Now, you know what? Who knows? We could lose house and home on this, but I haven't heard from the Lord. Let's try it anyways. That's just called dumb. But when it comes to hearing the Lord, not following the Lord is dumb. And you can't play the, I can't risk it because I've got a wife. Can I just say, a wife needs to see a husband step out in faith. Because if she doesn't see a husband step out in faith, she may feel like she has to be the Deborah to do it. And that's not so good. And you know what gets worse? When you have kids. Because when you have kids, then you really think you've got God in a corner. But you know what? God made sure we actually saw how that worked in Numbers 13 and 14 when the people that were in the wilderness tried to blame God and said, we can't go into the promised land because we've got kids and we don't want to fight any battles. And so you must not love our kids if you really want us to fight these battles. And God says, I'll show you how much I love your kids. You'll all die. Your kids will go in. Do you see how God played that? He's like, I'll show you who will take care of your kids. I guess it's going to be me because you certainly aren't taking care of your kids. Here's the ironic thing. You could try so hard to protect your kids. Now, I'm not talking about how bad it, you know, don't, you know, don't, you know, you, you, oh, you're wicked because you're not sending your kids to public school or any of that. What I'm talking about is that place where you're not willing to step out in faith and say, Lord, I'm just going to trust you and I can't do this because my kids. If that were the case, can I just honestly tell you this wouldn't be happening right here, right now, would it? Hey, not all of us, and there's a million bad choices I'd rather not tell you about, but I'll tell you about a good one. A good one when the Lord says, now walk away from all the comforts that you know on the central coast of California because I've got an amazing group of people you have yet to meet. And And I'll tell you what, the greatest part was that there was no but my kids. It's one of the best things because the kids for the first time in a while got to see what it really means to step out in faith. We still don't know how the bills get paid every every month. It does not work in the math. But God's always been bigger than that. Do you know what I'm saying? So please hear me. 
when Priscilla and Aquila start, and here notice that's how they're listed, Priscilla being the gal, are listed, they are neck riskers. They are a courageous couple. You'll never see them apart, by the way, in Scripture. Of the six times, there's never just a Priscilla or an Aquila. They are a couple. And you know people like that? It's like almost doesn't sound right unless you say and and the other name. You know, because if you go, I mean, back when it was David and Trista, it felt weird not saying David and Trista. You couldn't just say David or Trista. Now, the reason I say that is because they, be, be, they were just, they came here as a package. They were like Smurfs. I mean, they just couldn't, and they were Smurf twins, and that was just kind of the way it works. But let me tell you what else happened then. After they give this fugitive a job, then Paul heads out back to Syria. That's the church in Antioch that sent him where he had pastored for a year. And they go with him. Talk about risking it now. They risked it a second time by leaving all of their comforts to go follow Paul. I mean, all they knew about the guy was a guy that gave him a job and then Paul was there for a year and a half serving Christ and preaching Jesus in Corinth. And by the time that whole thing was done, if you remember, there was roughly a riot that took place. And yet they still went with him after that. After that, by the way, <laughs> Paul and Priscilla and Aquila then end up in Ephesus. And if you remember the story, there was a guy who was a really gifted speaker named Apollos. And this guy was eloquent. I mean, this guy could really speak. Even if he had nothing to say, he could say it really nicely. And probably, perhaps you know people like that. They're so gifted that even if they said nothing, you'd still go, wow, that was a really great speech about nothing. Now, pl- please hear me. It is in this case, by the way, that we read Aquila and Priscilla, and I do like that. They pull a say The problem with, with Apollos was not his abilities. It was his understanding. You see, he had understood that all men were sinners, but all he knew about was the, was the baptism of John. So when he went out and preached, he was one of those guys that said, you're all sinners, everything about this is sin, and what you need to do is repent. And that was as far as he could go. There was no cross. There was no forgiveness. There was no resurrection of Jesus. There was no gospel. That Jesus died for your sins according to Scripture, was buried, and rose again on the third day, just like Scripture promised. That was none of that. All he said was, you're a wicked, rotten, nasty sinner, and you need to repent. And that's the truth, but that's not the whole truth, is it? And listen, it said there, Aquila, the man first, and Priscilla, took him aside and taught him the truth more properly so he could go back into it. Can I just say, that's another risk, isn't it? Think about how much you would risk that. Wouldn't it be a risk? Because you know if you have to pull someone aside and say, can I just say out of love, you're speaking wonky. That somewhere down the line, you are risking losing a friend, or in this case, somebody who's already quite popular with the people. But this couple were neck riskers. And because they were neck riskers, they were willing to to do, they were willing to go and open up this opportunity for this fugitive to, to work They were willing, by the way, then to go with this fugitive back to a church they had never been to. And by the way, I'd like you to consider the fact from where they were, chances are they had to go past where they came from because Pontus was en route. And then from that then, they went and risked it and went back to where they came in essence and then risked it to go and talk to these guys. Or talk to this guy, Apollos. And then ultimately after that, by the way, we'll find that, well, you'd say to greet them as we read here and in 2 Timothy so they are apparently in Rome because the letter's to the Romans and he says, say hi to them. Does that make sense? They've got to be in Rome if Paul says to the Romans, hey, say hi to these guys. But he will also say, by the way, um, that once one, that uh, when Paul was in Rome writing to the Corinthians, he says that, uh, that uh, Apollos or, uh, Aquila and Priscilla greet you. Now, it's interesting because there's one other great risk that you see here, and this is the one perhaps that would be the easiest 
to think you could get away with. Look at verse 5. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. You know what else they risked? Their house. They opened up their home to a church. Do you know how messy a church is? How sloppy a church is? Yeah, maybe you do. But this couple, this courageous couple, opened up their hearts and their homes to people so they could love on them, to be Christ to them, because that's the kind of couple they were. And they wind up in all kinds of books as a result of that, from the First Corinthians to Second Timothy here to Romans as well, and of course all through the book of Acts, starting in chapter 18. Now, if you're a married couple, do they, do they know you as that, as the courageous couple? Or are you the couple that's the protected couple? You know, we're just, it's about us. And I'm not talking about don't have your own time. Hey, have your time. Make sure your wife or your husband knows that they're, the, they're your, your second love. I mean, that's, you know, my kids totally don't have a problem with the fact that I call them my third love because they know that I call my wife my second love because they know that I call Jesus my first. And that's just in the house. They just know that's the order and nobody argues over that except maybe with the kids they ask, so if you actually had to say third love and then third love and a half, which one of us kids would get? <laughs> you get the idea. So is that you? Greet my beloved Epinaeus. 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 And it says, by the way, his name means praised. He's the first fruits of Achaia. That's Greece, by the way, in Christ. So the guy is kind of known as one of the first people to actually give his life to Christ? Was that you? Were you the kind of person that you jumped at it the first time? You jumped at the gospel early? Or were you one of those people that jumped at it late? Think about it. Because there are some people, by the way, that actually the first time they heard the gospel, it just made sense and boom, it smacked them in the face and they said, I want that. There are others, on the other hand, they're like, oh, no way. And then you came kicking and screaming. But then you finally accepted Christ. Which place are you in all of that? There, the reason I say that is there's room for both in the body of Christ. Do you see what I'm saying? This particular person, by the way, not given higher credit than another, was one of the people who jumped early. Greet Mary, who labored much for us. Greet Adronicus and Unia, by the way, my countrymen and fellow prisoners who are of note among the apostles, who were also in Christ before me. These two individuals, by the way, Adronicus and Unia, by the way, were individuals, according to this, who were Christians before Paul was. Did you notice that? That's what he says. My countrymen means, of course, they, are, they come from the, back, the same place. But now notice where they are fellow prisoners, which means somehow they're actually in Rome in jail. So I think that that's kind of an interesting thing. So Paul writes to these people, there's a couple here, and it just sounds like they're kind of sacrificial sufferers. These are early elders, and yet they've walked with Christ, but they haven't given up what it took so that if it took that you were going to get nailed for your faith, they're still getting nailed for it. Can I say that if there was today someone to come in here and, re- and Christianity became outlawed and you could be arrested, is there enough substantial evidence to be able to put you away? Because in those days, you needed some. This couple, they're old in their faith. They're older than Paul is in his faith, and yet they're still arrested for their faith. It sounds to me like they're still going for it. And I do love people like this. Listen, those of all you who are younger in the faith, do not buy for a second that the heart cools on Christ, and that's called maturity. That is one of the biggest loads of rubbish I've ever heard. And by the way, I intend on growing old to prove you wrong, if that's what you think, if I make it that far. 
I've, you know, we've joked and said, I hope I die at the pulpit preaching, but I hope I'm not preaching about God smiting the sinner. <laughs> Anyways, uh, but please, please. And by the way, we have people. Talk to, talk to Sister Ange for just about 20 minutes, and you tell me how it cools. Talk to, talk to Shirley. And by the way, let's be honest, ladies. You know that there was a time when that could have happened, but you made the choice not to because you kept your eyes on Christ. The other things are what cool you. Christ never cools. And I'm hotter for Christ today than I've ever been. You know what? If that looks like immaturity, then put me in whatever category you want. I want to be the Caleb that says, I'm 85, I still want the land. And then, you know, Joshua says, well, then go get it. He's like, that's all I wanted was permission. He didn't say, all right, which of you young kids are going to go get me the land? I'm older now. Eh, I'm old. He kind of looked and said, all I want is the opportunity. I can tell you what. One of the best things, man, is to be able to get back out on the front line and just watch God do stuff. And don't tell me because you're older, God's not about to roll up his sleeves and do his best work yet. The Old Testament's full of stories of people that thought that they should have been retiring in Florida somewhere and playing golf in white trousers. And God says, it's time to get up and get busy. And you go, but this is impossible. And God goes, perfect, because that's exactly where I want you, because then I get all the credit. This couple, these, this couple people, Andronicus and Unia, they are clearly people who... Though older than Paul in their faith, have not cooled. And can I just say, cooling is not cool. Verse 8. Greet Amplias, my beloved in the Lord. The first of them, by the way. Another exclusive, as is Andronicus as well. Greet Urbanus. And you might guess, like the word urban, it means of the city. My fellow worker in Christ. Another exclusive. Stachys, exclusive. Remember, means head of grain. Another one, by the way, calls my beloved. Apelles approved in Christ. Stop. Let's take a look at this one for a moment. Exclusive to this text is this person, Apelles. So it isn't like we're going to get any great information about him, and I'm not going to make up anything and tell you that something happened somewhere else because this is all we ever have on this individual till we get to heaven, except that Paul has to make a special statement about him, that he's approved. And that tells me something. That tells me one of two things. Either the other people don't think he's approved, or he doesn't think he's approved. Can I say, I more than likely favor the second of them? Because Paul has this tender heart for people who seem to be wimping out on their faith and step, they just don't step up and they use fear and anxiety as their reason for not doing so. Read the Timothy and Titus letters. They're all about step it up. Stir up the gift, Timothy. Don't neglect the gift that was given you. Tell our kid, step it up, man. You can see Paul is constantly, because as a man who's planting churches, he sees these guys, and I can tell you honestly, as a man in Christ, it drives me mental when I watch how many men don't step up. It's like, I tell you what, if we flip genders, this church, well, we could have planted three churches by now, because there's some gals that are rabid for Christ there. But the guys are like, you just go ahead. Haley, you know what, men? Do not do that. And I love the fact that Paul says, would you just listen to Pellis? You are approved, man. God says, I've called you, man. Get about it. Hey, look at it. If you're looking for permission to do what God's called you to, I give you permission. How's that? Now go about and do it. It's amazing how many times people say, I can't do anything unless the pastor tells me. Excuse me, I am not the chief shepherd. That's Jesus. All I want to do is actually get in your boat and row, not get in it and steer. That's Jesus' job. Fall in love with Christ and watch what happens to you. Because what you'll find is you'll find yourself, chances are your friends will see you exercising gifts before you do because it happens so supernaturally natural, you won't even notice it. All you'll notice is that things are changing around you for the better. 
Paul's like, hey, by the way, Apollos, you were approved, man. God's cast his vote and he says, let's do this now. And you're like, but, right? You want to throw your butt in it. But my past. Isaiah tried that. But my mouth. Moses tried that. But my age. Jeremiah tried that. You want to tell him, but I'm a man of a filthy mouth? God grabbed a coal from the barbecue and touched your lips with it. You willing to play that one with God? But you don't understand. I have a past. God says, well, then we can use it. But you don't understand. I have weaknesses. Now, understand, look at how we say that. Do you really ever think you're going to be able to tell God something and then actually that's something that seemed to have escaped God who knows everything, his notice? And he's going to go, oh, what was I thinking? Oh, I'm so sorry, Chelsea. What I meant was Jenny. I mean, really, do you think God's ever going to do that? See, it seems to me like God knows you better than you do. Well, actually, I'm sure of it. So when God says, this is what I have for you, and by the way, he'll always give you something bigger than you can humanly do. Have you noticed that? And you're like, but this is bigger than I can do. God says, oh, did you think you had to do this? Imagine that's Michael Jordan telling his jersey, tonight we're going to create records. And the jersey goes, yeah, but I can't even shoot a basket. And he says, I never told you to. It'd be weird that he had the conversation. We can all agree with that. But follow me on it for the moment for the illustration. The jersey's going, I don't know, you know, I just, I just can't shoot. I'm just, I'm just a piece of cloth. And he's like, perfect. Could you just give me the room to do what I do? And hang on me. I'll do the rest. I mean, imagine the paintbrush arguing with Van Gogh. Saying, oh, you know, we're going to make a masterpiece. And, oh, I'm just a paintbrush. I really can't do anything. He's like, yeah, I can. I can dip you in paint and use you. Rembrandt painting, which, by the way, I always find interesting. Do you know there's a toothpaste called Rembrandt? Are you familiar with that? Now, the ironic thing about it is, do you know what colors Rembrandt painted in? They were dingy browns. You ever think about that? I mean, every painting I've ever seen by Rembrandt is like dingy browns. And I thought, here, try Rembrandt toothpaste. Anyways, what a terrible side note. Back to the point. <laughs> Stop thinking you're the artist and start thinking you're the paintbrush. And stop thinking you're the craftsman and start thinking you're the tool. But imagine if you were the hammer fighting the one who's swinging it because you're not sure he's swinging it in the right place. It would look really stupid and weird. But that's actually what we do when we play with God that way. Can I say, look it. If he put you in his tool belt, he approved you. This is what I've learned. If you're really good, you don't need great tools. And I've, I've watched this in every sport. You know, I mean, I was raised by a professional athlete, and I can tell you, there are people, and they come out with their, like, $300 bats or whatever the case, and they're going to go play baseball, and they are just terrible. And my dad could pick up a twig and knock the thing out of the park. And it wasn't because the bat was better, it's just he was good. I have one of the assistant pastors back in the States who then wound up going, we sent him out to plant a church. He was super, like, cowboy. I mean, and by the way, real cowboys I have great respect for. I wouldn't listen to their music to save my I'd rather be run over by a monster truck. But, um, but for them, it was like, you know, he, and he, but he, like, real cowboys work hard. And the guy, when he, when he worked for like a week, his arms were honestly bigger than my waist. They were gigantic. It was unbelievable how big he was. But he never carried himself that way. He kind of talked a little bit like this sometimes. You know, and, 
And, and the reason I say that is that he was super handy. I mean, he, the guy could just grab a rock and a, something and he could build a house with it. I mean, he was like, it was like MacGyver only better. And, cause he didn't blow things up. Anyways, but I, I just, I mean, I could have the best hammer and I, I wasn't raised that way. So I'm like, don't put a hammer in my hands if you, unless you want things torn down. And the difference was not the hammer, the difference was the craftsman. I learned he didn't need great tools because he was just that good. And I remember looking at that and thinking about the Lord and saying, you know, I'm learning from you, Matt. Because the Lord doesn't need great tools because he's a good enough craftsman. He's good enough for both. So stop trying to equate how good of a tool you are. You're approved. If he put you in the belt, you're approved. I mean, God actually has an unlimited supply of what he wants, and he's just looking for willing, and he grabbed you and stuck you in his belt. You ever think about that? Now, you really want to argue with God and think he made a poor choice? What are you saying? Because that's what you are saying when you're saying, God, I'm not sure this was a great idea. Greet those who are of the household of Aristobulus. Another exclusive name, by the way. His name means best counseling. Herodian, my countryman. His name is Hero. Greet those who are of the household of Narcissus. The word narcosis is, 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 is where we get the word narcotic from. It It literally means stupefied. And I just, I can't help but think. It's like there's a whole household. You walk in, everyone's like, hey, what's up? We're church. We're doing another song. There's room for them in the body of Christ. Do you think that the church is for brilliant people? That's like, oh, I'm sorry. The hospital's only for well people. People go, I don't want to go to church. There's too many hypocrites. Tell them there's room for one more. The bottom line is, let's be honest, not everybody in the house, not everyone in the hospital is a doctor. And even the doctors get sick too. We're human beings. We are jerks saved by, a, by an awesome, loving God. Have you thought about that? So you go, I, you know, it's like, no, you don't want to go to church because you don't want to admit that you need to. You know what's sad? That's not just the unbeliever, beloved. That's a lot of people out there that I'm saved. I don't need to go to church because I'm just fine. Yeah, I don't... Do you really believe that? Do you believe that lie? That's why you need to go to church because you're already believing your own lies. Anyways, verse 12. See, I'm sounding like an old guy now just going off. Tryphena and Tryphosa. Some would say, by the way, these are twins. Why? Because their names are close. Who would name their children Tryphena and Tryphosa? Anyways, one means luxurious, the other one means makes luxurious. So there you go. They are both female names who have labored in the Lord. By the way, again, notice the girls that he pulls out and says, these girls are working for Christ. Are working in Christ, notice. Greet the beloved Persis who labored much in the Lord, which is interesting because Tryphena and Tryphosa labored, but Persis, who is also female, labored much. Did you notice that? There's a quality of labor that's been equated here. And it's like if you actually had the three girls in the room and you wanted to use one of them, go with Persis because she labors much. Something to consider. Verse 13. And by the way, maybe that's you. Maybe you're like in a place where, yeah, I did a little something and that's kind of cool, but you could do more. Then do more. Let me just encourage you. And I'm not talking about serve the church. I'm talking about serve Christ. And no, that's not just here. You can do stuff here if you want to, but there's all kinds of places. But the bottom line is people need to be served. And don't you think that's my job? I had a dream the other day, and it caused me to pray for our fellowship all the more. I had a dream that, uh, for what it's worth, I was at Covent Garden. 
And, and it was like, you know where they always have a place at Covent Garden where it's like sort of the classical music is played down. You know what I'm talking about? You kind of stand on the railing, you can see. And sometimes it's like a handful of violinists. And sometimes it's a guy going, ha, 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 right? And that kind of thing. <coughs> I shouldn't have done that. Okay. Um, this particular time, I have a boom box behind me. Some of you, if you don't know what that is, that's like a large thing to play your, your iPod. And... Uh, and I had this thing plugged in, and it was, and I had a, a stack of instruments in front of me, and there was this background symphony, but every time a lead part came up, I had to jump up and play it. So it was like, all of a sudden it was the violin, I'm like running and finally, putting it down, okay, next thing. And it was like, and I realized how ridiculous this is. But it's like, and the Lord's like, yeah, but give it time. Sooner or later, people are going to take those parts. And I just got to praying for you all the more because please understand, this is never supposed to be the Tony show. This is supposed to be about Jesus, right? If I get run over by a herd of yak tonight, do not stop meeting here because Jesus is still here. Just pray for Jeffrey or whatever the Lord would do. Anyways, so, <laughs> you didn't hear that. All right, greet Rufus. Rufus, chosen in the Lord. By the way, you'd say, well, there's clearly Rufus has never been mentioned. Actually, listen to this. In Mark chapter 15, verse 21, there's a guy named Simon the Cyrenian. Does anyone know where Cyrene is? It's North Africa. This is a dark-skinned man. And it says, though, interesting what it says about this guy, Simon. It says he is the father of Alexander and Rufus. This guy's going to carry the cross for Jesus, right? Or at least... That cross, that, that sort of long stipe, the patibulum, or sorry, the patibulum, that's the part that Jesus is carrying, stipe is then brought to be laid in. The patibulum is the crossbar. Jesus, of course, is not in condition to carry it. They ask somebody to carry it for him, and this guy now, and I imagine the moment if I were Simon and I picked that up, I thought, boy, they better not confuse us. You know? And he's carrying this thing there, but God makes special note. Can I just make a special mention? This guy's got two kids, and one of them's name is Rufus. Is it the same guy? We just don't know, but could be. But here he is now, a guy named Rufus. By the way, his name means Savior Selected. How cool of a name is that? So, next, and his mother and mine. Obviously, another gal. Then we have five people, by the way, and the brethren who are with them that are exclusive to this text. Asyncritus, Phlegent, Hermas, Petrobas, and Hermes. Names meaning, for what it's worth, incomparable, blazing, and then a variation of Hermes. And then my father's life is Petrobas. And then Hermes. And the bros who are with him. Greet Philologos. Oh, this is one of my favorites, by the way. Just going to say there's room for a guy like this in church. Exclusive to this. By the way, Philos or Phileos means what? Do you remember? It means to love or befriend, right? Fond of. Logos means words. His name literally means fond of words. Can I say this is someone who talks a lot? And there's room for people like that in church. You say, well, yeah, duh, look at you. Anyways, you get the idea. But can I just say, if you have a lot to say, Speak the truth. Because the Bible does say, when many words are present, sin is not absent. So just let it be that your heart is full of good things, the treasures of old and new, so that from the abundance of that your mouth would speak. And Julia, Neros, which name means wet, and his sister. Olympus and the saints who are with them. His, Olympus, by the way, means heaven sent. Greet one another with a holy kiss. And then we start swif- um, switching now into the next part of this, because now it's... Um, going to be a challenge, and then we go actually to people who say hi where Paul is. Now understand this text. Greeting one another with a holy kiss does not mean now everybody go make out. That's pretty evident. 
In those days, to this day, by the way, and by the way, you can, you'll know this, you can talk to Mary or those who are Italian or others that live Mediterranean, uh, other than Spanish, who seem to be, for the most part, fairly non-tactile, we discovered. That when they, when they greet people that are close to them, they give them that big hug and that sort of side kiss thing on the, on the cheeks. And what that says in the simplest sense is, you are actually, I'm opening my heart to you and I'm opening my life to you. That's the idea of it. Now, the idea is quite simple. If you call yourselves brothers and sisters in Christ, act like it. Now, now, if you came from an unhealthy family, don't act like that. Don't, like, knock down one of the girls and just spit on them or that kind of thing. But, like, look at If we actually are total strangers here and then we try to tell the world we're actually one big happy family, the world has a right to go, why? How? How are you any different? What, should, what makes a family a family, to be honest, is how diverse people are that still actually sit in the same room. You think about it. The family is supposed to be the only place where people could be that weirdly different from each other and actually still sit at the same table and have a conversation. Because you wouldn't do it under any of the circumstances until now. See, what you have in that case is a surname, whatever, in common, a lineage. You have Christ in common. The one who saved every one of us and made us new creations. Look around the room. Look who's sitting next to whom. There's some variation here, and I love it. I absolutely love it. So keep it up, please. I want the world to look in here and go, what in the world is this? And we're not going to say, all right, all y'all that are darker skinned sit there, and all of you who speak other languages sit there. And all That would be so crazy. What I want you to do is I want the young with the old, the old with the young, because we have much to learn from each other. As we get older, we need to be reminded about that vim and vigor that comes with youth. As, we, as you're younger, it's always wise to know about the wisdom of the aged as well. And there's a reason why cheese gets better. You know, sometimes it gets more mellow. Sometimes it gets more sharp. Please hear me. We used to have a thing back in our fellowship because we had 600 college students that would come called Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. One of these days, chances are we'll have it here. And anybody that was under 25 could fill in a little thing between, between 18 and 25. And they would actually put their name kind of in a lot, kind of in a, you know, in, a, in a hat, so to speak. And then they would be drawn out. So there would be no girl ever went alone, no guy ever went alone, but like two or three guys or two or three gals. And they went over to, to the house of somebody who was older who made them dinner and sat and talked with them. Because the purpose of it was to not put everyone who's younger in a holding pattern and think this is all life. Because life is beyond that age as well. And what was so cool was, it's hard in a church, to be honest, in many cases, to find older people, the people kind of sinking in. Can I just say, the Lord has intended that? Sometimes you just got to give it an opportunity. Some of those people now, many of those people who were younger, by the way, didn't have a family and now do. They're like, this is my mom now. Or this is my stepdad or whatever. Because these were people, to be honest, it's like I tell you, all of those people that ever went to our house still email us and still keep in touch with us. And I'm like, hey, I just want to thank you. I'm like... That was a long time ago. But can I just say, I want to encourage you. The idea of greeting each other with a holy kiss is be family with each other. Be family. Pray for each other. Love on each other. Listen with your heart. Okay, we're wrapping this up. Listen. Verse 17 through almost the rest until the end of the, you know, hellos, goodbyes and such are about one primary issue. I urge you, brothers, note those, that's the first step, by the way, who cause division and offenses contrary to the doctrine in which you learn and avoid them. This isn't just somebody who has a weird doctrine. This is somebody who's causing division by it. By the way, you can have actually a normal doctrine and still cause division with it. 
For those who do this do not serve the Lord Jesus. They serve their own belly. In other words, they are driven by their appetites. They're not driven by love for others. People who divide other people are driven by their own appetites. They are not driven by a love for others. I mean, show me somebody who condemns every other person and every other ministry but their own, and show me how they love other people by doing so. If you're so concerned about them being driven into someplace else, then go love them enough to tell them in love. But to separate and say, we won't have anything to do with that group because that guy, I think, sat down with a Catholic once, or this group because I don't know, but I think he sat down with somebody I disagree with, or whatever, or he looks like Benny Hinn, or whatever it is. That kind of stuff gets so mental. And he goes, look, you need to note those people because those people, by the way, the best way to deal with them is don't give them an audience. That's what he says. He goes, by the time you find out that they're... And when someone meets you and they go, so let me ask you, well, you are first this and second this and seventh day this thing and are you this and are you a dispensationalist? Are you this way? Are you that way? It's like, wow, that's the first thing you want to know about me? Because you could be all of those things and still go to hell. You know that, right? Because I just want to know whether or not we can hang out or not. And if you don't believe in the rapture, we ain't hanging out. Hey, the bottom line is when the Lord comes back, we will all agree. And when he does come back and we all agree, the one thing Jesus is going to nail us on will not be where we stood on that doctrine with all, with all due respect. It'll, he'll nail us about how we argued and disassociated other people who disagreed. Because you can believe different sides of that fence and still believe in Jesus and still believe he's coming back. And the bottom line, you'd say, well, I believe I have better scriptural proof for it. Well, well, way to be proud about that. Good, stand on your truth and be a workman who need not be ashamed. But love other people because you cannot seek change by actually drawing a line, throwing them on the other side and having nothing to do with them. The only change you're going to get is that you'll get greater space from them. And if you love them enough, love them enough to engage them and draw them in. But by the way, we already read, remember, in chapter 14, that if somebody's got a different set of uh, of convictions, you don't draw them in so you can argue over those convictions. You draw them in the love because one of the things the Lord allows is us to be so diverse so that when we do disagree, we can still love each other because that's something the world can't do. Isn't that the way it's supposed to be? I mean, this diversity where we agree is what makes this so beautiful. So listen, it tells us your obedience has become known to others and I'm so glad on your behalf, but I want you to be wise in what is good The word, by the way, is sophos, like wisdom. And then simple, concerning what is evil. And the word simple, for what it's worth there, akarios, means unmixed. In other words, I don't want any evil to be part of your recipe. So when someone says, girl, you're single, you've got to play the field. Don't buy it. Well, you'll never know how to minister to somebody who's been drunk unless you've been drunk yourself. Love them enough to say, in Jesus Christ, shut up. In whatever way is polite and godly. Because in the end of it all, God says, I don't want that ever to be a part of your recipe. To be honest, the world seeks to pollute those who are pure. And they'll tell you that now. Isn't it true? I mean, I have people that say, look, my job is to corrupt you. I'm like, well, thank you that we've made that clear. I hope you're used to losing. And then I like immediately go and tell my friends, look, I just got to tell you, my accountability bros, that person's out to corrupt me. And we used to, I mean, it's like, and the only reason I say that is, is that God does not play the card. You can't minister to someone unless it's happened. Listen to this statement. And don't believe me. Search scripture yourself. It says in 2 Corinthians about the God of all comfort who is able to comfort us in our distresses that we will be able to comfort everyone who is in any discomfort. It doesn't say that we'll be able to comfort those of a similar discomfort. I could never sit down with a girl who's been raped and seek to administer comfort unless I believe that verse. Does that make sense? 
someone who's not gone through what I've gone through or what I've gone through and, or they've gone through and I haven't. But I do know this. I may not have experienced your experience, but I've needed comfort too. And you might say you've needed more, and maybe that is true. But I've known this. My God issues abundant comfort for every situation, and I know that firsthand. Do you know that firsthand? And I may not be able to know what it's like to lose a child. Well, I almost did. But I do know what it's like to receive comfort. Don't disqualify yourself because you're not that person. Because if you've been comforted by Christ, you can administer comfort. Does that make sense? So he's like, I don't want you to, I want you to be, in the simplest sense, I want you to have a PhD in what is good, and I don't want you to have even entered preschool as a sinner. Hey, those of us who have entered, and some of us have our own degrees in sinning, let's be honest, don't you wish we hadn't? Nobody that's been there says, boy, am I glad I've been through that so I can minister to people. In the end of it all, let's be honest, the Lord is the one who does the ministry. Let me remind you, you are just the paintbrush and the tool. He does the work. So don't think you have to get there. The God of peace will soon crush, will crush Satan under your feet shortly. Now, don't you love that verse? You say, well, how does a God of peace crush? So you understand, peace here is not great cosmic mellowness. We've talked about that. Peace here is being unified with the one who created you to be with him. And why would God crush Satan shortly? Because it's the one thing that could get in between you and him. Interesting, because what was he talking about right before this? About a divisive brother. Don't you see that's interesting? He put all of that into one category. He's like, let me just say, that a divisive brother separates people who should be together. They should be at peace, but they're not now because they're sowing division. Does that make sense? And the one behind it is the one that Jesus himself is going to crush. He isn't just going to go, excuse me, would you please step out of the way? Jesus is going to go, bam, and it's over. There is no like, excuse me, but I I think you should leave now. My God, we read, is going to knock him over with the brightness of his coming and destroy him with the splendor of his appearance. He's going to go, and he falls over, and he's like, hello, boom, and it's done. I believe in the Big Bang, but I put it, people put it in the wrong place. I don't believe it was at the beginning, it's at the end. Because at the end there will be a big bam, and it's over baby, and everything gets new. Do I believe in the Big Bang? Yes, but I don't believe a P involved in it at all. There was a V, like as in let there be. That happened in the beginning. At the end of it, there will be a big bang, and then we get a new heavens and a new earth. And let me just tell you, when that happens, there is no, like, this isn't wrestling, where it's like, oh, Satan's got him down on the, oh, it's one, two, oh, Jesus is up again. Oh, look at this, and he's got him in a head, like, wait a minute, wait a minute. There's none of that. Satan shows up, and he could be like, dun, 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 whatever, you know, blah, 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 little heavy metal death music, because, you know, it's Satan or whatever, you know. In my case, he comes up with country music, but anyways. And, you know, he shows, I'm invincible, and Jesus kind of like just shows up, and he's like, hi, boom, it's over. People are like, oh, well, so much for that one. There was a George Foreman fight, I remember, and I won't develop much, because we actually need to send you home sometime tonight, but please hear me. George Foreman had a fight where he walked in the ring and I think 13 seconds, and I don't even watch boxing, but somebody had to show me this. It was like, you know, they had like an hour and a half for this boxing match. He kind of walked in and George Foreman was like known for being like the, the hardest punch and this guy just kind of leaned into his punch and he just went, bam, and he hit him right up the jaw and the guy went, oh, what? Bam, he went. And now they've got like an hour. What do we do? 
So they showed it like in slow motion and then like super slow motion and then reverse and then reverse slow motion because they had an hour. <laughs> you know, it's like, wow, what do we do now? Let's look at that punch. And then they were like turning like, it was almost like turning into memes. It was like, bah, 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 you know. And the only reason I say that is, is we could do that because we make something so long that's going to be so short when it comes down to it. Because my God is going to soon crush him. He's not going to be like, he's going to soon, soon excuse him out of the room. Because you know why he's going to crush him? Because he will never be in between us again. Hey, when my, when my God does something, he does it for good. Don't forget that. Hey, can I say hi? Can, some of my friends want to say hi, by the way. But let me say, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Oh, that's not the end of it. You can see all the guys that are around him say, hey, hey, hey. Say hi for me. Tertius, who's writing the letter, he goes, excuse me. I just wrote 15 and a half chapters of this. Can I at least say hi? Okay. Timothy, my fellow worker, and we know all kinds of beautiful things about Timothy. If you want to learn a lot about him, by the way, the book of Acts, there's at least 24 different references to the guy. I just love this guy. He was, you know, he's, he's mixed breed in the sense that, you know, mom was a Jew, dad was a Greek. You know, he sees Paul beat up the first time. He's Turkish, by the way. He's in the middle of Turkey. Paul travels through the area there. Last time he gets stoned, left for dead. The second time Paul comes in, he picks up this kid on the way, circumcises him, sends him out, and then doesn't know where he's going. Remember, that's where he tries to go up and, and you know, north and west. He tries to go into Istanbul. The Holy Spirit doesn't let him. He tries to go into Ephesus. The Holy Spirit doesn't let him. And finally, he gets a vision of a Macedonian man, and that's when he winds up then in, in Europe. That's how we got here. With all of that, you know, Europe in that sense. And so Timothy says hi. He's his son in the faith. Luscious, by the way. For what it's worth, just so you know, that in Acts 13 there was a list of prophets. If you remember, Paul and Barnabas were some of them. But one of them was Luscious from Cyrene. So, because he's the same guy, you make the call. Um, there's a Jason, if you remember in Acts 17, that aided and abetted Paul, that they dragged out into the a theater because they said, this guy's harbored, this guy. Is it the same one? We don't know. But there's a guy here that says that. Sisipater, by the way, unique to this text. My countrymen greet you. And Tertius, the guy who's writing this. Can I say hi? Sure. Okay. My Tertius, who wrote the letter, greet you. But I thought Paul wrote the letter. Paul is dictating it. Tertius, by the way, means third. What's worth? Gaius, by the way, we do know as somebody in Scripture, Acts 19, Gaius and Aristarchus were Paul's traveling companions. They were seized. Gaius accompanied Paul um, by the way, to Asia in Acts 20. In 1 Corinthians 1, Paul does say, I only baptized... I, he's like, I didn't baptize anyone. Oh, wait, wait, wait a minute. I did baptize Gaius and Crispus, but I, I really don't think I baptized anyone else. And if you get older, you kind of know how that works. You're like, you're so confident at first. I didn't do that at all. Okay, well, maybe okay, maybe that like once or twice, but that's as much as I remember. That's kind of where we played with that. Third John, he says, by the way, to the beloved Gaius. Same one? That's You, you can decide that. Erastus, the treasurer of the city, greets you. We do Erastus from Acts 19. He is a politician. By the way, the Lord does use godly politicians. Wouldn't you love to see a few of those? So you say, well, you can't be a Christian and be a politician. Well, then prove him wrong. Erastus, by the way, we, we read also in 2 Timothy. So he, this guy is still active in ministry at Paul's death. Quartus, a brother, he's exclusive. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Second, but now let's close it up. Because there's one more amen to go. Listen to this statement. Now unto him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began, but now made manifest by the prophetic scriptures made known to all the nations according to the commandment of the everlasting God for obedience to the faith.
realize it's all one statement? That's all actually a modifier, if you're familiar with English. That's a modifier to this. Now unto him who is able to establish you by my, according to my gospel. The word establish is the word sterizo. You want to guess what word we get from that? In the English? Steroid. To be established is to be made strong and immovable. Listen, he doesn't say, now if you work hard enough, you could be established. If you play the political game enough, you could be established. You could work your way up from children's ministry to youth ministry to assistant pastor, and someday you could get the big job. Not unto him, not unto him who's able to establish you. Not your politics. Not even now unto those talents that are able to establish you. Now unto your brilliance that's able to establish you. Now unto your kindness that's able to establish you. God has to establish you. And if God doesn't establish you, you'll have to fight to get there, and then you'll have to fight to stay. What I've learned is if you fight to get it, you have to fight to keep it. Have you learned that yet? But listen, now unto him who is able to establish you by my gospel. Do you know why I think so many people aren't established today? Because there's just no gospel left. And I'll be honest, even in good Bible teaching churches, it's almost like we recycle each other, but we don't preach the gospel. You know what that means? We have a really good wall around our, build, our, wall around our city. We have no gates. The Bible, in its simplest sense, the Word of God is a wonderful wall to keep us safe from the ignorance and the darkness that's out there that's by ignorance. But unless there are gates, nobody else comes in. And if they do, they're outsiders. They climbed over the wall. The gospel is the gate. It's the beautiful gate for which people enter. Because through that gate, we leave who we were and we become somebody new on the other side. Does that make sense? And you know what establishes you is not the wall. With all due respect, what establishes you is the gate. Now hear me. What that means is you don't get established inside the building. You got established when you came in. Does that make sense? It's the gospel that got you in the building. Please hear me. If you cannot be made strong at the cross where you were bought by Christ, if you cannot be validated and made secure in who you are, self-esteem, can I just say lovingly, chuck it out the window and get God-esteem, because self-esteem, you're constantly changing, which means you're going to constantly have to figure out what to like about yourself now. Like the fact that you are loved by Christ, because that's not going to change. That's the wall. And there's the gate. The gate is this. That God so loved you that he sent his only begotten son, the only one of his gene pool, monogenes, so they could die on the cross so that you and I could have all of our sins paid for so that we could stand innocent at that gate by the blood of Jesus and enter into fellowship with the living God in his city. At which point then, those walls are good things because they keep people who lie out. But if you can make it through the gate, then you're my brother or sister. Those walls are wide enough where we can have very differing opinions on the inside about other issues that are less consequential. But in the end of it all, are we, have you accepted the gift of Jesus Christ at the cross and allowed him to be the Lord of your life at his resurrection? Because that's what gets you in. Does that make sense? This whole thing that was such a mystery now, the crazy thing is even angels desire to look into what we know clearly from Scripture. Because now we look back at what they look forward to. So it says this in the end. To God alone wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever and amen. As we close this now and go to prayer, the Lord has led us now into a place where we have finished the book of Romans. And the book ends with this. 
Could God get the glory, please, through Jesus Christ? It started by telling us that we were sinners and that from a faith in ourselves now we transfer to a new faith, a faith in what Christ has done. That's the gospel. He has changed us and delivered us. Chapters 1 and 2 focused on our sin. God revealed himself and we said no. That's as simple as sin. 3 through 5 showed us salvation and we went from sin to salvation. We went from sinner to saved. And in being saved now, we've done that by trusting in Jesus Christ's finished work at the cross and his resurrection to give us new life. Chapter 6 through 8 says, now that you're saved, God wants to set you apart or sanctify you. We went from sin to salvation to sanctification, 6 through 8. And in 6 through 8, God says, now that you're saved, now that you're a new creation, stop, listen, 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 stop getting your identity from your tombstone. That's who you were, now embrace who you are. The enemy says, let's go look back because you can't change that. Oh, it's covered in blood now, but you can try to look under that. But when you look forward, all you see is Jesus. Look forward. Because forward is where the Lord's leading you. Six through eight, you are a new creation now. Live like it. So we went from sinner to saved to sanctified. And then from there, we trust that God is sovereign, nine through 11. But by the way, he's not just sovereign, he's smart. He's not sovereign and dumb. In other words, he has to control everything. He's so smart, he can actually make everything work to our good, even what the enemy intends. And then finally he says, we go then from sinner to saved, to set apart, to trusting God is sovereign, to service, 12 through 16. And that's where we finish this. In 12 through 16, as we go to prayer now, he has been constantly pointing out that you are no loner, You're not a free agent. You're not a maverick and you're not a loose cannon. You are part of the body. You are supposed to be motivated by love. You are now a member of the team. You are a current soldier among the army of the living God along with others here. Stop shooting each other. Appreciate each other's convictions. Respect authority. Love one another. And then here, say hi to these people and they say hi to you. Can I just say, make people the important thing. 34 names here. Make them the important thing. That must be my cue. Or we're in the tiki room. Um, So listen, beloved, as we pray, if you've accepted Jesus Christ, I want to pray today for you and for me that we would make people more important in our lives. You will either use stuff to bless people, or use stuff for people, or you'll use people for stuff. I mean, that sounds simple, but it is. But as we make people the important thing on earth, everything else revolves around it. But we give ourselves to God for them. Some of you did that this week. You made food for people that were strangers. You opened up your home because you were a neck risker, whether you were married or not. Some of you have been out on the street because you are neck riskers. Some of you have been embracing total strangers because you are neck riskers. Go for it. Some of you are sister servants in here, and I mean that faithfully. And that's everything from picking up bread to making tea to making sure that there's a bulletin to be handed out or whatever it is. Some of you aren't even sisters. You're brother servants, and praise the Lord for you as well that are making sure that there are 
that you can download the messages online. And by the way, I, you know, I don't care if they know it's me or not. You can just, the important thing is that they get taught the word, right? But in the end of it all, I wouldn't want the telltale sign of this church to be that there's teaching here, to be honest. What I want is for people to walk in here and say, this group of people love each other. In every one of these people, that's what you see. Whether that was Phoebe who showed up to bring a letter and risked her life to do that, or whether there was some of these people who opened up their homes to let a church meet there, or people who've labored or labored much. It just seemed like there were people busy. I wonder how big the church was in Rome. I, to be honest, pray it was just that size. Because any person who didn't get mentioned would have either been bummed or rebellious, stagnant. My prayer tonight is that you would be available for whatever the Lord has for you and that you would fall in love with Him and then fall in love with each other in the proper way and treat each other like the brothers and sisters He's called us to. But if you've not accepted the gift of Jesus, I'm going to give you that choice right now. I just want to warn you. Pray with me, would you please? <laughs> On time. Lord, I want to thank you so much for this beautiful book that we've now seen concluded. I want to thank you, Lord, for the blessing of what you've done tonight. I want to thank you, Lord, for the sheer magnificent love that you've dumped upon us in such a rich and profound and elaborate way, an extravagant way. And Lord, I just pray tonight, Lord, for every believer here, Lord, that we wouldn't think that maturity is just knowing more stuff. That we could better walk through Scripture. Though we want to be able to walk through Scripture, but if we don't know the Lord of the Scripture more and your call in our lives, I think we're just getting knowledge, and I don't know how good that is. But Lord, I pray that we wouldn't become chubby believers. That we wouldn't be people that are so fat in the head because we've got the knowledge, but our legs are weak because we've never done anything with it. So I pray, Lord, for every person here, myself included, Lord, that we would demonstrate what it really means to be yours in that gate as we've walked through that gate by loving each other. Let this be a city of love, Lord. And that doesn't mean that we hug each other and squeeze each other and just like each other all the time, but rather that we serve each other and we're committed, Lord, to regardless of what personality difference is or regardless of where people are in different places, Lord, and be that social strata or nationalities. All those things are so immaterial in comparison to the fact that we all should be in hell, but you saw fit, Lord, to save us instead. <clears throat> and really, with that in mind, Lord, we all should just be in constant state of wonder and awe that you would love us and save us, for which we should appreciate and love much and then love each other as a result. So the greatest thing in regards to our eternity has been so solved, Lord, let the rest be as small as it should be. And in this city, Lord, now where this wall surrounds us and the gate that is there, may we genuinely commit to serving each other. And the more different, the more clear we do. And I pray, Lord, for us that you would give us a genuine love for each other, a less love for ourselves and a greater love for others, <coughs> a greater selflessness and concern, Lord. That if we were gone this week to write a letter, we could fill it full of 34 names here at this church as well. And Lord, I just pray right now if there be any within the sound of this voice who have yet to say yes to Jesus, that now would be the time where they would actually make that choice. And I know your Holy Spirit's at work, so have your way. Hey, in this room or at the sound of this voice, if you're not sure you've ever said yes to Jesus, you can walk out of here, sure. I'm going to pray a prayer and I ask you to listen. And at the end, if you agree, 
I ask you to give a resounding and confident amen. What you are saying by saying that is, I agree, let those words be my words, so be it in my life. And here's the prayer. God, I confess to you, I am a sinner. And my sin separates me from you, but you so loved me that you sent your only begotten Son, Jesus the Christ, to die on the cross on my behalf. And he died there just as you promised in Scripture so that all of my guilt and my punishment and penalty could die with him. And then three days later, just as your Scripture promised, he rose again to offer me new life with him as my Lord and my King and you as my Father adopting me into this beautiful family. So I say yes. I say yes to Jesus' payment as my Savior and, and ransom. I say yes, Lord, to Jesus' resurrection to be my Lord and the architect of my reinvention. And as I surrender myself to you, Father, adopt me and make me your own. Get me through that one gate and make me part of this beautiful family where I can celebrate you and love you more as I give myself to you now in Jesus' name. If you agree, I ask you to say, Amen.